Hello again, friends. Uh, today's message on Jonah is going to continue. I'm still in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, but we'll be back preaching at Praise and Worship uh, in a little over a week. But we're going to continue in chapter 1 of Jonah. And, you know, it's amazing how just one sentence can change your life. You can be driving down the highway, get one phone call that changes your life forever. It's, if it's good news, your life changes one way. If it's bad, it changes another. Either way, your call your life can be turned upside down with just one phone call. So what I'm saying is life can turn on a dime. And that's what happened to Jonah when God uh, spoke three little words, go to Nineveh. And note what Jonah was to do. Go to Nineveh and cry or preach against it. This is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and it's not your best life now. This is bad news from Almighty God. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Their evil was like a dirty stench to the Lord. The time for judgment had come. When God said Nineveh was wicked, he was not kidding. I mean, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world in that day. And they had a reputation for cruelty that is hard for us to fathom. Their specialty was brutality of a gross and disgusting kind. When their armies captured a, a city or a country, unbelievable and unspeakable atrocities would occur. Things like skinning people alive, decapitation, mutilation, ripping out tongues, making a pyramid of human heads, piercing the chin with a rope, and forcing prisoners to live in kennels like dogs. And ancient records from Assyria boast of this kind of cruelty as a badge of courage and power. The Assyrians uh, had no use for the Jews, and the Jews hated the Assyrians. Hated them for their bloodthirsty cruelty, hated them for their idolatry, hated them for their arrogance. And for a Jewish man to be told by God to preach to Nineveh was repugnant. As far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could go straight to hell. Let me go ahead, Lord, push the button, open the trap door, let them fall straight down into the pit. That's how Jonah felt about Nineveh. Now, what qualifies as Nineveh today? Well, Nineveh is whatever pulls you out of your comfort zone. It's the place God calls you where you don't want to go. It's the people who have hurt you deeply, and God says, go and give them my message. Nineveh's danger and discomfort. Nineveh's whatever you hate that God loves deeply. What do you do when God says, go to Nineveh, and you hate those people? You need to think about that, because sooner or later, that's what he's going to say. When God said, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it, we might expect the next verse to read, and Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. But that's not what happened. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, it helps to know a little geography at this point. Nineveh was 500 miles north and east of where Jonah was. It was a major city on the banks of the Tigris River. In contemporary terms, that would be in Iraq, about 300 miles north of Baghdad. Archaeologists have found the ruins of ancient Nineveh right outside the city of Mosul in Iraq. Tarshish was almost 2,000 miles west in Spain. So we've got a 2,500-mile gap between God's call and Jonah's desire. God said, go east. Jonah says, I'm going west. The text says Jonah went down to Joppa, and that's true on two levels. First, he to get to Joppa, uh, Jonah had to go down to the seacoast 
to the port of Joppa. And second, by going to Joppa, he was going down spiritually. If you look at the action in this chapter, you can see that Jonah went down four times. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the hold of the ship. He went down into the sea. He went down into the belly of the great fish. And that's not a coincidence. It's a statement about what happens when we disobey God's call. Anytime you run from God, you never go up. You always go down. Now, why did the reluctant prophet run from God? Well, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't care about Nineveh. He didn't think God should care about Nineveh. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want a God who loved people like that. It was perfectly fine with him if God sent them straight to hell. In fact, I would tell you his problem was his preference. I mean, Jonah's problem was never ultimately about Nineveh. Jonah's problem was always with God. So Jonah has decided to run from God. He heads for Joppa where he just happens to find a boat going where he wants to go. Now what are the chances? Isn't that an amazing coincidence? It's a long way from Joppa to Tarshish. It's not like they had a boat leaving for Tarshish every day. I mean, just think about that. See, when we decide to disobey God, there will always be a boat going to Tarshish. And there's always room for one more passenger. Now, what are the chances that a man would have the money in his pocket to pay for a a fare for a ship that happened to be going where he wanted to go? Well, when we decide to run from the Lord, Satan is happy to provide the transportation. So he found a ship, paid the fare with the money he had, and there's a lesson here to be considered. Money gives us options. If a man has no option or has no money, he can't buy a ticket to Tarshish. If you've got money in your pocket, it, it may actually make it easier for you to run from the Lord. Now, in thinking about this, I pondered the excuses Jonah might have given for running away from the Lord. I mean, here are a few things he might have said. Well, maybe God's calling me to Tarshish. Well, they need the Lord in Tarshish, too. Or I prayed about it. Or I have peace in my heart about this decision. Or look at the circumstances. I had the money. The ship just happened to be there. It must be God's will. Or I love Nineveh, but I'm really not the right person to reach those people. I just feel like going to Tarshish is the right thing to do. But friends, whenever we decide to disobey, we can always find an excuse. It's easy to justify wrongdoing by cloaking it in religious language. Now, as we stand back and look at this story to this point, a question naturally arises. How far will God let us go in sin? I don't think anyone knows the full answer, but it appears that sometimes the answer is that God will let us go pretty far. He doesn't always stop us quickly. Now, I received an email from a woman who told me that her husband had left her for another woman, and this is part of what she wrote. She said, I'm working through forgiveness. It's a moment-by-moment process. My conviction right now is not to divorce him. Our church has pursued him, friends, elders, pastors, letters. He has changed so much he's under church discipline now and is no longer a member. And I fear for my husband. I don't even get to didn't even get to the part where God has pursued me with his great love in so many, many ways. Well, how far will God let us go? Why doesn't he stop us sooner? Well, my answer is that part of his judgment is not to stop us. I mean, he could have arranged things so the ship went to a different port. He could have arranged things so that the ship had no room for Jonah. He could have arranged things so a thief robbed Jonah of his money. See, sometimes the judgment of God is simply that God lets us go on and on in our sin so that we must face the consequences of our own disobedience. 
This is the severe mercy of the Lord. And that's what Romans 1 means when it repeatedly says, God gave them over. I mean, go back and read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 26 and 28. You see, friends, when a society decides that it doesn't need God, his response is not always to bring out the thunder and lightning. More often than not, Gus says, well, if you want to jump off the cliff, I've warned you about time and time again. If that's what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. So as we consider the beginning of Jonah's sad story, remember that we can run, but we cannot hide. God was with Jonah every step of the way. Though Jonah tried to leave the Lord, the Lord never left him. See, it is the patience of God that allows us to run away. It's the wisdom of God that provides the ship. It's the providence of God that sends the storm, and it's the kindness of God that sends the great fish. You see, if God didn't care, he would let us go on in our sin forever. So as we come to the end of this particular part of Jonah, it kind of looks like Jonah has gotten away with it. He's run from God, bought a ticket, and now he's on a ship heading to Tarshish. He's a happy camper. So far, his plan has worked to perfection. He's so happy that as our story ends, he's going to take a nap. That's in verse 5. But God is not through yet. He's just getting started. I mean, right over this story, the words of Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Well, as we wrap up this message, I want to share three thoughts, something to think about. Here's number one. Every step out of the will of God is a downward step. No one ever disobeyed God and went up. You only go down. Down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the sea, down into the belly of the great fish. There's a second thing to ponder. We get away quickly, but we recover slowly. It's easy to go down, easy to get off the right path, easy to fall into sin, but the road back is difficult and often very painful. And third, Satan can work through circumstances just like God can. I mean, Satan has his ships and he always has room on his ships. His ships always go where we want to go when we're running away from God. He can make disobedience look good by means of favorable circumstances. And as he gets ready to take a nap, Jonah may have thought, Things are going so well for me. This must be God's will. But if he thought that, he was wrong. The Lord had already made his will clear. No set of favorable circumstances can override what God has clearly said. Deep down, he knew God's will. He just didn't want to do it. Now, I began by saying that I might even call this series on Jonah outrageous grace. Now, you may wonder, where is the grace of God in this story? Well, the answer is simply let Jonah disobey. He didn't kill him on the spot. He gave him the freedom to mess up his own life. Now, that doesn't seem like grace at the time, but it was. God works even in the midst of our disobedience to bring us to himself. Sometimes God allows us to go way off course so that when we finally see our sin for what it is, we're ready to turn to the Lord. Well, Jonah's disobedience looks pretty good so far. Happy sailing, Jonah. Watch out for the big fish. That's how life really works. Sin looks good for a while. Jonah experienced the pleasures of sin for a season. If sin always brought immediate misery, it would be a lot less attractive to us. As they say, stolen water may be sweet, but it always leads you to the gates of hell. The bitterness comes later. The sadness comes later. Sin is fun for a while. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Jonah is about to find that out the hard way. So stay tuned for the rest of the story. 
Father, we're glad that your grace is greater than our sin. Some of us have loved ones who seem to be living the high life on the ship to Tarshish. Some people seem to have gotten away with disobedience. And Lord, we wonder where you are. Maybe some of us right now are looking to take a ride on a ship heading to Tarshish. Speak to us. Wake us up. Help us to believe more deeply in your outrageous grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.